what my personal um, mission is in healthcare is to always be at the forefront of the technology that um, is most powerful in the day, but then to apply it back to solving healthcare problems that matter. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the innovative entrepreneurs and investors reimagining health. I'm Logan Plaster, Editor-in-Chief at Startup Health. Carly Yoder, my guest on this episode, has had an impressive career in health innovation. Her career took her from Apple to Doctor on Demand, and now she's at GE Healthcare as VP and GM of Artificial Intelligence. There at GE, Carly's work touches nearly every department as the company looks to integrate smarter AI into all that it does. But she's not just strong on the tech. She's also made a name for herself in understanding the human side of using AI to improve health. What are the ethical implications? What are the limitations? In our interview, we'll get into some of those interesting issues. Plus, we'll talk about how Carly assesses opportunities for partnership in the startup ecosystem. This episode was taken from a recent fireside chat in front of a live audience of founders from the Startup Health Portfolio. So you'll get to hear some of their questions as well. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're an accredited investor and want to learn about our Health Moonshot Rolling Fund, which we recently launched on the AngelList platform, go to healthmoonshots.com. Now, on to our conversation with Carly Yoder of GE Healthcare. I'm excited about this conversation, um, Carly. You said recently in an interview that AI isn't about the technology, it has to be about outcomes. Um, this got me thinking, in a way, this is another way to get at our health moonshot vision, this idea that health tech can't just be about the tech, about the, the products and the platforms. It's got to be about those, um, those moonshots, about making health better for everyone. So uh, I wondered if you could talk to us about you know, what was it about your unique journey in health innovation that got you to that perspective? Um, and maybe you could elaborate kind of what you meant by that, uh, that concept. Sure, Logan. So it might seem like a strange thing for an AI leader to say, but I actually think if I do my job right, it won't exist five years from now um, because we, we don't have uh, GMs of web enablement as an example. So you asked two questions, Logan. You asked what got me to this place? Um, and then can I elaborate a little more on what I meant by the statement? So, so let me let me address those in order. So um, what got me to this place? Look, my, my entire career and uh, passion in healthcare is around being an effective bridger. Um, and so what I mean by that is my background's biomedical engineering. My entire career has been kind of in this product management uh, business translation space. And as I look back at my journey, um, when I think about early in my career, when I worked at uh, Duke on you know, clinical trial translation at Stanford on MRI development, um, what made me good in those jobs was not that I was the smartest in the technology. In fact, I was learning the math when uh, I was trying to help with the physics around MR, right? But what made me effective was the ability to understand enough to translate to what it meant to a science community or to a, a customer base that wanted to grapple with that, right? As I think about the work I did with health insurance exchanges. So early in my career, um, I had the opportunity to work across 
uh, seven or eight state governments up and down the East Coast as they tried to respond to this small thing called the Affordable Care Act and what they needed to do to transition and set up state level health insurance exchanges. Um, this was a bridger role that required the intersection of technology, policy, business, and, and let me tell you, becoming a Medicaid director um, doesn't happen because you're brilliant at running system integrator programs. And so I had the opportunity to work at a company that did that type of work. Um, and the skill set that was needed more than a deep, deep, deep expertise in any one function was the ability to be deep enough to connect groups that didn't speak fluently to each other. Um, at Doctor on Demand, similar. I actually joined, I worked there very early in their telemedicine journey. This is this is a company probably many of you from, are familiar with at this space, um, but, but way before telemedicine um, got the acceleration we've seen recently, helping them think through how do we shift from a solely B2B market strategy or B2C into B2B, right? The, the, the strategy when I joined was, was very much Let's get on a daytime television show. Let's try to get that one person to call in as opposed to thinking about how do we go to employers? How do we go to payers? How do we go to self-insured businesses, et cetera? Um, similar at Apple, thinking about how do you position products in a broader ecosystem? And so I think for me, um, what my personal um, mission is in healthcare is to always be at the forefront of the technology that um, is most powerful in the day, but then to apply it back to solving healthcare problems that matter. Um, and it's never going to be about the technology itself. And if you, if you stay stagnant on one technology, you'll fall behind. Um, and so, you know, right now in the last five years, the hype around AI um, has been tremendous. We'll have a chance to kind of unpack some of that over the course of this hour. would love questions from you guys on that front. But when I think about my role at GE, my job is to harness this AI, not for the sake of the cool technology or the marketing slogan, but to harness it so it drives impacts that matters to our customers and their patients around the globe. Better efficiency, better quality, better outcomes. At the end of the day, that's what customers will buy. And those are the type of transformations that move healthcare forward, not in, in small ways, but in, in stepwise changes. Um, and so AI is a tool, albeit a pretty powerful one, but at the end of the day, it's one tool in a broad arsenal for, for tackling the problems that, that matter in healthcare. So that's really what I meant uh, when I said that is, is, look, the sooner we get past how a product was built and the sooner we focus on what impact it has for a provider community or a patient community, um, we're going to start talking apples to apples and, and driving impact faster. Well, I love that you said that if you do your job well, uh, your position will be unnecessary five years from now. Uh, that's like a an interesting sort of health moonshot vision for you know obsolescence. Like if we do if we do what we're doing well, run ourselves out of business uh, in some cases. But I, it's a good segue into understanding your current role. What is it that you do as a sure. G, GM of AI, and kind of what's your focus right now? Yeah. So at the highest of levels, two big pillars of, of what I drive in the organization. Actually, let me first take a little step back. For those of you who don't know GE Healthcare that well, it's about a $18 billion healthcare business focused in the med tech space. 
um, with the big portfolios being about nine to 10 billion in the, the, the big iron imaging, MR, X-ray, CT, about another 6 billion in, in ultrasound, so some of the, the smaller device, about another one to 2 billion in more of the software solutions. Um, uh, specializing again in kind of the radiology or cardiology oncology spaces that leverage images. Um, so, so big uh, healthcare company that's been around for a while. My job uh, is very much a horizontal that cuts across all of those businesses. And the, the pillars that I'm accountable for and responsible for driving are number one, how do we pick the right use cases across each of those P&Ls that we that best leverage and specifically for us it's often deep learning under artificial intelligence because of the imaging focus but the organic use cases where if we can build a deep learning model appropriately embedded in the devices it most uh differentiates from competition and provides the outcomes that our customers are looking for an example on this organic pillar is what we've done with the critical care suite in x-ray where uh, you know, the best practices uh, before AI was if you came into the emergency room, um, God forbid you were in a car crash, one of the first things that someone would do was they'd roll a mobile x-ray over to you, they'd take a scan of your, of your chest region, uh, that scan would go sit in a queue. Hopefully a radiologist would get to it within 30 minutes, sometimes it'd be more like several hours. If you had a collapsed lung, that the window to intervene and do something about it was solely dependent on how fast a human worked through their inbox or work list. What we've done with AI is we've trained a model to spot those critical conditions, embedded that intelligence right in the device. And now those, those, those conditions and categories are prioritized in the work list. So you have critical first, not first in, first out. That's one example. We're, we're driving that type of thinking across every single med device that GD Healthcare builds. So that's, that's pillar number one, kind of this organic strategy. The inorganic strategy around partnerships is, uh, is an exciting, exciting space as well uh, in the AI world. Um, many of you will know these stats, but there's over 4 billion dollars of investment flowing into healthcare startups and specifically with medical imaging which is where i where i, I spend a lot of time there's over 200 startups with a billion dollars of venture capital funding um now will all of those startups survive five years from now no there there will be some attrition over time but the the strategy that i i'm i'm tasked to drive is how do we partner extremely well with this burgeoning ecosystem of innovation and help take back to our customers a single point of access for all of these different point solutions um, and, a, and, and almost an invisible way of orchestrating across many, many different uh, partners so they get one unified experience. So at, at the really broad level, uh, what I'm uh, accountable in my role is the organic AI strategy. How do we put the right deep learning solutions embedded deeply within our devices and products, but then driving our, our Edison, Edison's the name of our AI platform, Edison developer program to work more and more efficiently with the developer community and provide better and better streamlined consolidation of that efficiency and innovation back to our customers so that they can work with, with one partner and, and not hundreds. Um, 
Gotcha. So Logan, if that, that maybe that went yeah, too no, high that's great. or too that's, deep. But. No, that's great. Uh, high and deep is great. Um, I want to get into more of the strategies around those partnerships and collaborations in a minute, but I want to stay global uh, for one more question. First, you mentioned your horizontal view of the application of AI and deep learning across GE. Uh, and given your previous experience as well, you have this breadth of experience as sort of enviably global view. And so to just to stay broad for a minute, I want to hear from you just kind of where do you see AI heading right now? Kind of what, what are some of your top line uh, themes uh, that you're seeing? You just mentioned imaging and the opportunities within imaging. Um, but could you just kind of give us that horizontal broad view for a minute of this, of where of you, where you see AI innovation in the market? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I think it's it's pretty general across most areas of healthcare, but let me highlight a couple. So so certainly within imaging, look, deep, deep learning is tailor made for pattern recognition based on images. Um, some of the other areas um, around around data data. So think about monitoring, patient monitoring or EMR data. The, the standardization of that data has to be phase one before the AI can be applied, right? One of the beauties of imaging is there's such consistency in how the data is produced. In some other areas of healthcare, there needs to be a focused effort to standardize the data so that you can then apply the AI. I think you know, one of the trends that's been accelerated um, dramatically by, by, by COVID is, is virtualization. Um, and I think of this in, in two pieces. One, clearly we all know that the, the data and trends around telemedicine, um, you, you know, I, I think one of the, the most, the recent stats I, I saw was that, um, you know, there was a projection that we'd be at, what well, I think 20% of our clinical encounters in 2020 driven by telemedicine. I saw that same study projected 70% by 2023, which I, I, I don't think reflects reality, even as I see us beginning to see some trends back into the hospital, but we're never going back to the almost zero to 5% of adoption in the telemedicine space that we saw pre-pandemic. So, so that absolutely is here to stay. And there's a lot that AI can do in this space. The other piece, the sub bullet around virtualization is the expansion of the care team. And what I mean by that is how do things like chatbots or extended care team begin to do some of the tasks that only providers and specifically MDs did before. And I think we're going to see this more and more. And with the aid of artificial intelligence, empowering folks across the care team, um, we're, we're going to see huge rises in this over the next five to 10 years. You know, I'm struck by the idea that, you know, in many ways, COVID confirmed some of the thinking of folks who were on the edge of health innovation. This is the way we're, we're going. And yet, ultimately, there's, there's always things that really radically change our thinking. And since yeah. you are dealing you're in the environment of change management, trying to, to push these things forward. I wonder how COVID changed your thinking. It didn't just uh, affirm your thoughts about kind of where we were heading, but it could be your department or GE. I'm curious about kind of pivots that were made, uh, really kind of changes in thought. Yeah, another good question. So 
you know, it really killed anything that was technology for technology's sake. There was zero ability of our customers to focus beyond products that help them be more efficient and drive higher quality. Um, and now we're seeing a little of that return, especially in high-end academics, right? There's always going to be this fabulous research frontier that's trying to push the boundaries of science. But I really think COVID and, and look in my AI world brought in some ways back, back to the basics, right? Does this, and this is a little bit back to what I said at the beginning and really where I'm trying to keep the team focused is, look, if this AI product it doesn't matter how beautiful your sensitivity and specificity is and, the, and the, the elaborate designs of the underlying network architecture of your data science, it, if it doesn't allow a clinician to be more efficient, if it doesn't allow um, a patient to have a better experience, if it doesn't raise the bar in quality, um, we're gonna struggle to see adoption. And so I, I think that's um, a little bit of kind of some of the refinement of thinking coming out of COVID. That's good, that's good. Um, I wanted to sh shift gears a little bit and get into this idea of uh, collaboration. Um, big theme here at Startup Health, really our thesis is that you can't achieve health moonshots without really radical collaboration between startups, with industry, uh, with companies like GE. Um, I know you have made clinical partnerships a real keystone of your, um, just how you work. Uh, whether it's UCSF or Partners uh, Healthcare or Boston Children's. So um, I, I wonder what is your strategy around partnerships? We can sort of break it into two parts, sort of the big strategic partnership uh, clinically, and then we can start talking about, you know, sort of the developer community and partnering with startups. Yeah, I, I think... I think, look, the before diving in, and, and I usually think about three pillars for partnerships, the clinical, technical partners, and more of the, uh, the startup ecosystem. But before even diving into kind of more of the mechanics of that, um, the ceiling is so high in what we can do with data and artificial intelligence and healthcare, there is no one company that should be trying to crack this problem on their own. And, and just tiny data points, again, you guys live in this space, you'll know, but we've never been as good at a healthcare industry as creating data and as bad at using it, right? I mean, we the, the, the stats that I see are anywhere between two to 4% of data gets used within healthcare to drive insights, the rest sits in some database, in, in deep storage, um, in silos separated from each other and just doesn't get used to drive anything actionable in healthcare. So you've got this incredible backlog of data. Mm -hmm. And as we actually interview providers, 80% of them are willing to adopt AI embedded products, but only 10% have. So why, why? You know, we haven't yet as uh, technology innovators and product innovators, been able to kind of cross that bridge. And I think a lot of that gets underpinned by building the right type of partnership. So uh, clinical technology and kind of the startup ecosystem. Clinical, um, Logan, you, you, you laid it out um, well. Uh, you know, we it starts by, are you solving the right problem before you jump to the technology, right? Again, I, maybe this isn't what you expect to hear from the AI person, but the quicker I can get people to, to, to think AI 
as a how, not a what, uh, the, the better. And so, you know, we've invested deeply at GE Healthcare in these clinical partnership on the AI front for two big reasons. One, if you don't select the right use case, you mobilize a lot of brilliant people to build things that don't matter. Right. So how do we ensure that when we mobilize our data scientists, when we mobilize our engineers, when we mobilize our, our commercial armies, it's all around a product that matters to our customers. We've got to walk in the shoes of our clinical partners and really, really understand their workflows. Um, so that's that's number one. Um, number two is around technical partners. Um, this is a theme you'll probably hear from me kind of over this hour, but um, I think one of the most important things in, in healthcare moonshots is, is knowing what you're great at and understanding where you need to partner. Um, at, and at GE Healthcare, we have been living deeply in technical workflows for decades, if not over a century, I think with our x-ray products. And so we, we understand voice of customer and that last mile in the healthcare space of how do you deliver something. Um, we are never going to or want to compete with someone like an Amazon in the pure basic data science toolkit that they're building out. So four years ago, we created a partnership with Amazon leveraging their SageMaker technologies, which are data science toolkits, and embedding that within our Edison platform for building AI, allowing us to focus on the data management and the data annotation capabilities that are healthcare and use case specific. Those pieces take an incredible amount of depth of knowledge in the healthcare space and an incredible amount of work and partnering with the right technology folks allows you to move faster there. Similar partnerships with NVIDIA in, in the type of GPU work that they do better than anyone else uh, with Intel, with some of the, the CPU work that they have embedded across our medical devices. And so I, I think thinking in that partnership first and where do I have a superpower and where do I need to partner with others to move faster is, is really pillar number two. And then pillar number three is around this uh, incredibly fast growing innovative ecosystem um, where we as GE need to move at the pace, not of GE, but GE plus others. Um, and as we think about the Edison developer program that, that we've um, been running for over a year and a half now, we really think about um, carefully are the voice of our customer, which the voice of our customer says like, look, Carly, I want to tap into all this innovation, but I can't afford to have 35 separate contracts, 35 separate billing experiences, sure. 35 separate cybersecurity checks, lifecycle maintenance across all of these different solutions help, help centralize this for us. Sure. And for us, that means thinking about how we become better partners. Um, and, and that's a big focus um, uh, that, we, that, that we bring to life through our Edison developer program. I love it, that's great. Um, I love the insight that you that you see these partnerships as ways of getting really practical about problem solving. It's not just about you know, sort of market opportunity, but uh, if you're not partnering with a, uh, a clinical entity, you're not able to walk in their shoes and talk to the person using the product. So that using those partnerships as a way to get to the practical problems. Um, I also loved just this idea of GE plus others creating that ecosystem. Um, to that end, I want to get to some questions in the chat and bring in some voices from the audience. So uh, let's start with you, uh, Mehmet from Klexa. If you can come off of uh, mute, explain uh, what you've built and ask your question. 
Thanks, Logan, and nice to meet you, Carly. I think I was kind of impressed with your kind of definition of how you are doing this horizontal approach that focuses on imaging for sure. Um, we are a chronic care management patient engagement platform. Actually, one of them is oncology and we have other platforms we build that we enable cross communication for patients and clinicians for multi-comorbidities, either um, like with their patient report outcomes is our focus, but uh, one thing that resonated with me when you were seeing standardization of the data for AI, and we're doing the same thing, how we can standardize information for both clinician and the patient to kind of make them clinically efficient and, you know, basically value-based outcomes. So my question was really related into something that you said about like this horizontal view. We as company see that patient reported outcomes is huge on any data that we collect, even with AI, right? So think about a patient that actually gets a, an oncology treatment. Your success is maybe rated with the cancer cells are getting smaller, but when you ask the patient after five mm -hmm. chemotherapy sessions, what their quality of life, that's a whole different story. So with that said, how do you incorporate with companies, even startups or other partnerships that GE looks into the picture and say, this is a good way to partner with uh, a, a company to kind of um, like make a dent on this healthcare problem, like you just mentioned, or you can tell us like some stories or some successes you did in the past and kind of give us a guidance on how we can partner. Oh, there's so much goodness in this question. So let me, let me try to unpack it a little bit. First, uh, Mehmet, you know, ha happy to follow up offline if I don't touch on everything, but um, let me just give one stat before addressing it that struck me this weekend as I was as I was reading the I really hope this transformation in virtual care stays and I'm really nervous about it going away one of the things that got me the most excited was when I saw a stat that 50 to 60 percent of patients involved in chronic care treatments are open to maintaining these virtual connects because we all know the, the volume and dollars of healthcare really get surrounded by this chronic care um, uh, community and, and, and set of patients. So I, I, I love at a high level what you guys are looking to build. Um, I think patient reported data inputs um, are vastly reported or vastly uh, under collected when you're building building the patient jacket right now in patient view. And, and you know, at, at a very simple level, when we talk about the Edison platform, what we're trying to do is build ways to unlock data and then apply AI, right? And I every customer I talk with, this unlocking and aggregating data across data silos, and even from not just brick and mortar healthcare, but also patient reported or some of the, the more the more wellness view. It's just, we have a long way to go on that. Um, and so one of the ways we're addressing it at GE and even thinking about partnerships is um, trying to look, trying to move beyond our own PL structure. And so, uh, you know, look, that that's one of the challenges of any large company. And so specifically we've tackled oncology and cardiology as care area focuses where the, the go-to-market motion and the product development roadmap needs to be focused on those care areas first 
and the product segment second. And so what that means is we're very aggressively in those two areas looking to bring the data together and bring the partnership ecosystem together to build out the spaces that, that we're not going to do natively on our own. And so I, I think having um, a validated use case that people want and people will pay for is the most important thing for driving a partnership conversation. Um, and, and if you can bring those things to the table um, and show how we can go, go to market stronger together, it's the perfect opening for a partnership conversation. That's a great question. Thanks Thank for the question, Mehmet. Uh, let's uh, go to another question in the chat. Uh, Natalie Davis has a couple of sort of um, nuts and bolts questions about how GE partners with startups. Um, go ahead, Natalie. Thanks, Logan. Um, hey there, I'm Dr. Davis. I'm a pediatrician and chief medical officer of Prevent Scripts. At Prevent Scripts, we partner with primary care providers in the outpatient space upstream before cardiology and oncology ever happens uh, to help, their, um, help them identify and intervene with their patients that are at risk for diabetes and hypertension. So really targeting that upstream overweight pre-diabetic, pre-hypertensive, before they get cancer group. And um, we pair that with a, a series of interventions that are uh, remote monitoring and clinic-based. Clinic so asynchronous telemed, if, if, if you were, if yep. it were. Um, and so I guess my questions are just sort of nuts and bolts questions around um, your stage of partnership, um, do you lead investments? Do you co-invest with groups like Startup Health and um, average check size and Thanks. smallest check size? Thanks, Natalie. I love this one. So first of all, Natalie, my, my husband is a primary care doctor at Kaiser. And so right. keep doing what you're doing because, you. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it's, it's, so, it's so important. And this was actually from my time at Apple being able to quantify the impact of this upstream work is is so challenging to get right. We all know it's the right thing to do, but yes. how do you get people to pay for the right thing to do and and drive that quantification? So I, I love to my world. I I love I love it. Um, so you know, um, we do not do GE used to have a venture arm. Um, that's not something that we focus on anymore. And so in our partnership space, um, it's not direct invest. We do indirect invest in terms of, you know, uh, te technology integration support, um, go-to-market support, marketing support, that type of thing. Okay. Um, we, we also run regional acceleration programs where we do dedicated uh, kind of mentoring, but we do not right now have um, a vehicle for doing direct investments okay. um, in, in early stage companies. So it's more finding people right now where the strategic alignment exists and then mm -hmm. putting our money where our mouth is with our time and resources, but not, 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 not a check as, as an investment right, partner. Right. Reseller, reseller agreements though with your existing customers. Yep. We have a marketplace right now with over a hundred, uh, solutions listed across GE products and third-party products. Um, we tend to believe that the value prop gets stronger to our customers if there can be some integration and one plus one equals three, yeah. um, as, as opposed to just 
a pass-through opportunity, but we do um, have some reseller opportunities uh, through our marketplace. Right. Very good. We'd like to learn more about that. Thank you. And we'll, we'll yeah. be interested to see what your husband thinks of our demo. He might like <laughs> All it. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Natalie. Uh, let's go to uh, Dorothy Goldman from Ortel Diagnostics, who's got an interesting question in the chat about sharing uh, images uh, across institutions or from the home uh, into the hospital. So Do Dorothy, if you could come off mute. Okay. Hi, uh, Carly. Ortel Diagnostics works with imaging in a different way. We use colors and we test um, saliva for di diagnosing endometriosis. And I see a challenge there where you can get an image result and you get data, but you want to, it's, it's useless to the patient unless they have direct access to a clinician. But then the clinician, it also needs to be reimbursed with insurance and other agencies. And I just want to know what your experience is in the pathway of what happens to this data once you get it and how do you make use of it and how does it fit into the total big healthcare picture? Yeah, great, great question. So as, as you're implying with, with, with your question, just because we create data doesn't mean we have access to use it for AI by any means, right? The data is yeah. owned by the institution and to some extent, depending on the country, um, the patient as well. Yes, and so it's, <laughs> it's, it's very complex. And so this is part of the reason um, why we had to invest in platforming early on is because we couldn't leave it up to it, any of our individual product teams to follow the rules and regulations and legal guidelines of every single data sharing opportunity. We had to build a playbook around that. Um, and so, you know, we work um, in building out a base, if you will, of data partners at the provider level across different geographic uh, institutions. And then we almost set up an opportunity for multiple people to use that data for various AI use cases or data needs that they have. Um, and, 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 and I could probably talk a little bit more offline. Some of this is I'm being a little cagey about because we haven't totally been public around some of some of this data work. Um, but right now we work very much at the provider level, not the patient level, just for um, keeping a focus on scale and speed in terms of building out our, our data agreements and, and data access agreements. Um, did that get at your question or, or yeah, yeah, return it back to me? I, I think that the regulatory issues too are also in the development process because I know a few years ago there wasn't any regulation sure. and now it's very urgent that there is regulation and just understanding how that works is complex. Yeah, and, and I've, I've, I've spent some time with the FTA and, and one of the things we're, we're trying to teach them when it comes to AI is... Uh, um, volume alone isn't sufficient. So we, we call it the three Bs. Like when you're building data science and AI solutions, there's a lot of talk about like volume, volume, volume. But if you get a million images from one city, there's no way that's going to generalize across the globe. And so volume variety, meaning you have to have data that represents the populations that you're solving for. So volume alone isn't sufficient. You've got to get variety. And then this veracity pillar is around how you annotate it, right? Garbage in, garbage out when it comes to this AI training. You can train on millions of images from broadly around 
the globe, but if you've circled cats and called them dogs every time, you're gonna have a bad AI model. And so we, we are trying to help um, regulatory bodies think this through as well. Um, and, and to their credit, they saw this coming three years ago with this tidal wave of uh, applications and, and uh, you know, 510Ks to PMAs coming across their desk and them not having the staffing to keep up. So they've been trying to change their frameworks at the right speed, but it's, it is one of the challenges of healthcare um, that that regulatory guidance often lags the technology and product capabilities. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, appreciate the question, uh, Dorothy. Um, I've got a, uh, it looks like Moira Sheck from Cubismi's got a question. Um, Moira, can you come off a of mute and go ahead and ask it? Hey, Logan, thank you. I'll put on my, I'm in transit across my house. Um, nice to meet you. Um, yeah, so we have, Cubismi is a, a cloud-based solution. I'm a clinical radiologist and a cancer imaging expert. Um, and so, you know, from my perspective, you know, trying to, you know, get a, huge transformation that we need, what we're doing today, you know, belongs in the ice ages um, for cancer imaging clinically. Um, so, you know, from my perspective, we really um, designed something that, um, you know, we feel is most powerful for, um, you know, revolutionizing how a radiologist with interfaces can interact with data as an augmented intelligence solution um, for cancer. Um, and for you know general practice as well, um, and what we have on the back end is um, a patent technology. I've held the patents for five years, using dense stitching of a variety of data, like multiple types of MR and dense classifications, um, and uh, uh, prediction stitching, which is the critical need technology that we need um, for cancer, and this needs to be cloud-based, right? Mm -hmm. um, so. So when we're thinking about, um, you know, what GE is doing, um, and you know, and I, I don't want to embarrass you, but these are really important conversations. Um, and what we found is there's a lot of dominance um, in radiology by a lot of um, groups who um, have worked with machine manufacturers for many years. You know, and there is, like you said, a huge push to put the deep learning on the machines. And I do think that there are some great use cases where you can do that. Um, but, you know, there's a really central and important ethics issue here. Um, and there was a great lecture by a top Oxford ethicist at AI Med recently. Um, and how he described it, first of all, he said, you know, this isn't artificial intelligence, you know, and, and um, these are artifacts, these are computer artifacts. You know, and uh, it, uh, the term artificial intelligence, I believe, was really pushed by industry, um, who really wanted to hype this up. And to lay people, they don't really understand. It's just a powerful classifier, right? So that's number one. These are just artifacts. And when you have an artifact making a decision, so all of a sudden we have an artifact on a machine making a decision, then you're, you're all of a sudden we have a new huge issue here where we're splitting responsibility away from the doctor, right? So, so to me, um, you know, I, I had a demo you know, there's, so there's the ethics argument. And then for me as a clinical radiologist, there's also the kind of the, the practical side. Someone did a demo because they had triaged where a machine had used an AI algorithm, which 
by the way, the AI algorithms on single images, which are, it was very different from what Kabisni is doing, which is dense, like, just like you said, we need dense stitching of many types of data that's much more powerful and it's gonna be a lot more accurate. So these algorithms running on single images using neural networks, 93% um, of radiologists say they're unreliable in clinical practice, right? And I had a demo where somebody was doing an automatic triage of a chest X-ray with a chest tube um, and calling it urgent. And actually when they showed it to me, this was really embarrassing as a clinical radiologist, it had a chest tube in place, which means that mm -hmm. the black box was it's brittle, it's not intelligent, couldn't mm -hmm. figure out and didn't have the common sense to know that's no longer a um, yeah. an emergency, right? So, yep. so these are really, really complex ethical issues. And when you're splitting a decision-making away from a doctor, that has to be done with enormous care. So, you know, so I'd love to hear you just talk about, you know, how you view that um, and how you guys are gonna approach this um, so that, you know, that, that, you know, you're thinking about all the potential risks of splitting that responsibility away from the doctor. Cause I strongly, it's my strong opinion um, that that shouldn't happen, that it Good. needs to be augmented intelligence, that it's augmenting the doctor. Um, but I do think there's some great use cases, like for example, anatomy labeling, so we can reorganize data is an awesome use case um, Great question, for, for GE to, to pursue. Great question, Moira. Yeah, so, so Moira, uh, you may be surprised to hear me say, I 100% agree with everything you just said. So, so let, me, let me give a little bit of framing to even how we approach AI here at GE Healthcare. The grand, grand, grand majority of our organically developed use cases are what I call upstream first downstream, and this is this is different than what we were talking about in the primary care space, but upstream meaning how do you use AI to create the data? Faster, cheaper, potentially lower dose, those kind of things. So an example is uh, an MR use case where using deep learning in the reconstruction phase, we were able to create images with higher quality at less time. You'll know this, right, that the age old, uh, paradigm in MR has been time equals quality. And so what we're able to do is apply artificial intelligence into the imaging chain to create better data, faster data, cheaper data. When it comes to downstream and actually driving clinical decision-making, we're really not playing in that space because we think it's going to be the ecosystem of deeply specific startups and innovators who go deep in a specific area who can solve those problems. And to be honest, what's gonna happen first is everything you just talked about, which are much more about um, time savings, not clinical decision-making. I mean, to the FDA's credit, they've held that bar really, really high on clinical decision-making. And neither you or I wanna see what happened in the CAD space happen again with radiology, where every, uh, every, every breast imager I spoke to said, look, I, we use CAD because I get reimbursed higher. It doesn't actually help me do my job better. Right. That would be, that would be the disaster in this space. Um, and so I, I think our strategy is pretty well aligned with what you just said, because where, where we focus is AI to make data better. And what we're trying to set up in terms of the ecosystem approach is again, to what you said, 
really investing in orchestration capability. So the ability to have a platform tool and structure, you can think roads and bridges that sits across many, many, many different decision-making or not even decision-making, but sometimes more operational focused AI downstream solutions, but tease them up in a way and delivers them in a way that's unified um, and more structured back to the radiologist, right? Because the, the other thing I hear constantly and you know, love your take on this too is <laughs> radiologists don't want a thousand pop-up screens within their cockpit, right? You've already got four panels of screens that you're looking at between work list and, and comparing priors. And so part of what we're trying to do is kind of create a technology layer that aggregates across multiple different solutions and then teeing it up for the final decision-making to still be done by the clinician. I think we're very, very far away um, if we will ever get there from, uh, you know, the, the clinician not having to be involved in that final decision-making. I, I really see the next 10 years of AI and radiology um, being clinician plus AI um, now, hopefully AI makes things more efficient. Hopefully AI can do some of the manual quantification that isn't a good use of doctor's time. Um, but the clinical decision support, that, that's not something that can or should move away from MDs anytime soon. I don't know if that that's addresses a, the question. I think it's a, a wonderful answer. I, I love your answer. And I think um, what you just said is that you're going to use your technology to help organize the data. Um, and that's a perfect answer. And, you know, for me, if I'm looking at a brain MR, I can be looking at a normal brain MR and I'm looking at 22 sequences, you know, because somebody yeah. got 22 sequences on a normal brain. Um, and, you know, so I'm spending, you know, an enormous amount of time looking at normal 22 times, you know, so, awesome. so the whole um, joint effort of getting all the data organized around anatomy, which is what we're doing, um, is, is a fantastic goal. So thank you. Thanks, Moira. Oh, great, great Thanks question. For the, Thanks for the answer, Carly. I want to shift gears. We're getting towards the top of the hour already. Uh, time moves fast. And I want to get some of your really practical wisdom about uh, startup teams. Um, you've assessed a lot of solutions. You've worked with some top tech teams in the industry. Uh, and you've seen what makes some work and uh, some not. So um, I want to get your advice for the you know dozens of founders on the call about what you think the key ingredients are for uh, a successful health innovation uh, team in particular. Yeah, um, look, I'll start high level and don't roll your eyes at me, folks. But if you don't have the right purpose and the right people, none of what I say after this matters. Um, and that's not healthcare specific. That is any company I've ever worked in. Uh, if you can't articulate the why, pe talented people can go work anywhere. So give them a reason to choose what you're doing um, and surround them with brilliant people who can uh, challenge them, help them be better at what they're doing. And so look, if you don't have the people and the purpose, it, nothing else matters. But I do think there's three other ingredients when it comes to digital health that you've got to get right. First, and it, do you understand the product fit, right? Will, will people actually, do people actually want this problem to be solved? But then just as importantly, will they pay for it to be solved? So the product fits and the commercial model. And I often see companies get one right and the other wrong, and then you stall out. 
But then the third piece that you have to think about from day one is regulatory, right? If you think about it in like a hierarchy of needs, like products, will anybody use it? Commercial and business model, will anyone pay for it? Regulatory, will it ever get to market, right? You have to have all three of those pieces together in the digital health space. Um, and, and from pretty early, almost like the first three hires um, within your organization, um, uh, if, if you want to get it right. Now, I, I think one thing I'd be um, amiss not to mention is this, this balance of healthcare domain versus outside in thinking, another thing essential to get right. And there is not a perfect formula. I think we've all watched tech first companies struggle to get into healthcare, um, but that doesn't mean you should have a team of only healthcare domain startups and experts without some people to challenge the, well, this is how we've always done it thinking. But you do need to get that balance right if you're gonna be successful in digital health. What do you think is the, how do you recommend for startups to really think through this idea of resiliency? And we just came through this year uh, of turbulence and challenge. Uh, and I wonder what is your advice for sort of weathering some of those storms? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of those life questions you got to figure out, like how you get it right. But I guess for, for me, there are two things I thought of here. So one, again, why are you doing what you're doing? If you have the right why in place, you're, you can weather a lot of storms. And then two, this concept of personal and professional board of directors. I think I'll speak personally in my own life. Um, resiliency really depends on the community you have around you and your ability to have people hold you accountable, but also trusted people where you can be vulnerable with things you're thinking about, challenges you're having, and you can trust that the advice that comes back is purely to help you be to help you improve. And I, I specifically say professional and personal because I, I think you kind of want to have those two groups um, if you want to set yourself up for resiliency in, in a space where it's hard to make the changes we all want to see in terms of driving some of these, these technology and step one changes in healthcare forward. Where do you see specific opportunities in, in collaboration with, uh, with startups? You've mentioned uh, imaging. We kind of went down a couple different specific roads. Um, you know, Startup Health sort of represents a broad global ecosystem of solutions and problem solvers. So sort of outside the norm, where are you seeing some interesting opportunities for, for innovation and collaboration within your world? Yeah, you know, the, the clinical spaces where we focus most specifically radiology, cardiology, oncology, anything in that space, but then the broader trend of virtualization, we aren't going to do that on our own as a company that has for decades worked with providing devices to brick and mortar hospital settings. But virtualization is going to be, in my mind, the number one trend that flips healthcare on its head in the next decade. And there's sub trends there with moving to cloud and, and, and AI and interoperability. But I think the, the big trend of virtualization is an area where we are looking to partner to move faster than what we would ever do to build something on our own. Um, 
We're getting towards the top of the hour. Something we do every fireside chat is we give the folks on the call a chance to uh, reflect back to you and to the others on the call their greatest insight from the call, uh, something that they've heard uh, they want to just sort of reinforce and share. So if anyone would like to, to share their insights, you can drop your name uh, or your thought into the chat. Um, and you know, I'll start. I think what one insight that I'm still really thinking about is the importance uh, of these clinical partnerships. And uh, oftentimes, I think a startup can think about a, a hospital partner, a hospital system partner, as a a foot into the market, as a market expansion opportunity. And you talked about the importance of clinical partners as a way of just understanding the real problem. Like if you're not solving a real problem for somebody, some, you know, if you don't, can't get into their shoes and see that problem, then you're not going to get anywhere. Um, and so that really, that, that thought really struck me. Um, Natalie, you've got an insight, go ahead and share. I just thought it was great to hear you say, uh, Carly, that uh, you understand that you're inside the hospital in cardiology, radiology, oncology, all the, we call them ologies, and um, yet you understand how big virtualization is and is going to be and that you want to partner on to that end. We absolutely do. I meant every word. So if any of you want to talk more, let me know. <laughs> Uh, we've got time for another, uh, if anyone would like to share. I know uh, Joel from Keep, we didn't get a chance to go through your whole question, uh, but we might have a second if you'd like to share your thought or an insight. Oh, it's good. Uh, <clears throat> it's a company that's moving towards using machine learning and, and AI. It was, it was mostly a question of the difference between your roles and how you've implemented it in the past at a company that is more positioned itself to dedicate resources to uh, research-based programs to GE, where you have several different pillars of PL. And um, so I, I got a good idea of, of your vision for AM moving forward, but I'm wondering how you choose. How do you choose what products to, to attach it to? Uh, Joel, it's an awesome question. So, you know, in the very, very early, I, I, my organization now is about 250 people, uh, you know, 60 data scientists, 120 so engineers. So we, we have a lot of scale that we've built to over four and a half years. But four years ago, it was three data scientists and seven engineers. And we more or less, I, I mean, to be frank, ran reverse shark tanks within GE Healthcare around like around which use cases would drive the most movement for our customers and their patients and most movement in the market. And then we prioritized those first. And we got wins on the board that allowed us to scale what we were doing as an organization to then spread to that next level of use cases. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a little bit how we built the model um, at GE Healthcare in terms of, look, it's at a, at a large matrix organization, You've got to be able to prove that you can defend the core while you build the platform cap uh, capabilities to move into one step adjacent opportunities. Um, and that was really how we set up the organization from, from the beginning at GE Healthcare. That's great. I mean, I think my biggest insight then is 
even at the huge industry level, customer still comes first and, and that's a really valuable thing to, to remember. So thanks. thanks great, la great last question, uh, Joel. That takes us to the top of the hour. Uh, Carly, thank you so much on behalf of everyone on the call uh, and everyone who will you know, view this in the future. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I, I can speak for probably others on the call when I say I, I'm more excited about what GE Healthcare is doing uh, knowing that you are involved and hearing your sort of moonshot vision for partnerships and for uh, the ethical framework behind AI. Um, so really appreciate you uh, sharing those thoughts and just hearing your, your vision for the future. My pleasure. And thanks for giving me the, the chance to connect with all of you guys. So thank you. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 330 companies, go to startuphealth.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.